Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich by my first and last name. You can follow my co-host, the esteemed MLB baseball betting savant, something like that, whether it's in that order or not, at Monoara. Getting my butt kicked now. Yeah, well, you're having a good NFL season better than I did in week three. We'll touch on that in a moment at Monawara on Twitter. That's with two W's. You can follow Mo on Instagram. Mo, is your Instagram handle the same as your Twitter? I think so. Okay. I think mine is too. Not (laughs) completely sure, but you can follow both of us on Instagram as well. You can follow the lines on Twitter at the lines us before we get started remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the lines releases a new sports betting video on any market including our nfl betting content just like beat the closing number and the megapod with steven matt and adam so mo week number three didn't go as well for me as week number one i think i pretty much pushed in week two one and three Myself, I lost with the Vegas Raiders. We'll touch on Josh McDaniels in a moment. I have some gripes with him. Lost with Carolina and Denver. I apparently did not downgrade that Denver defense enough. I was spot on, though, I think with my Cleveland-Tennessee handicap. So 5-4 and four on the year for me individually. We as a show are 8-4, and four, but how did your bets go in Week 3 individually? Really strong week for me, for sure. I was on the other side of you on Steelers. I I added the Steelers late. I think I found a plus three, minus 105. So took some Steelers, uh, listened to my uh, Gridiron Gamble co-host, Brett, as well, and took some Steelers <laughs> money line. So that was a very good one for me. And uh, I had some Bears live as well uh, once they were down millions. Basically, essentially, I had Bears second half. So that, that one came home as well. Wow. Uh, so... Very good week for me. I got pretty lucky in that one, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. They should have had multiple big plays. The Chiefs were just like not taking their foot off the gas as early as I expected either. I mean, so I don't know. That one was weird, but happy to get the W. I think I had 35 and a half or something like that. Matt Nagy revenge game. I guess not second half betting wise, but he definitely kept his foot off the gas pedal to your point. Although we'll touch on a key injury That involves the Chiefs' next opponent, or focuses on the Chiefs, but pertains to week four with Kansas City against and at the New York Jets. So, like I mentioned, strong week for Mo, and he touched on that. Strong week as a show, as we went 3-1, and Mo went 2-0, and I went 1-1. and Hit with the Browns, thankfully that was one of my bets. (laughs) from a show standpoint and we are eight and four like I touched on on the season so it's been a really good year so far through three weeks for beat the closing number and as we do on Mondays we'll touch on some of the look ahead lines and how they differentiate from the week four spreads and totals for that matter and on Thursdays as we do every Thursday you'll hear in a few days two to three days depending on when you're watching and listening to this edition of beat the closing number we'll dive into our best bets but like I mentioned from the top the Raiders and I'm glad you at least cashed on Pittsburgh I know Brad had a nice bounce back week after struggling in week two you always root for people that you like individually to bounce back and I'm glad Brett did for sure Josh McDaniels, man, after the game 
doubling down on his decision to kick a field goal down eight points. This stood out to me. The Vegas Raiders are the only NFL team to attempt a field goal in the last three minutes of the fourth quarter. Went down by exactly eight points with less than five yards to go for a first down or touchdown since the two-point conversion was adopted in 1994. <laughs> that's I know that's amazing. A, that's a lot of different word vomit being intertwined into that stat, if you want to call it that. And McDaniels, of course, said today, or said last night, that the Raiders needed multiple possessions to come back. How do you not fire Josh I mean, technically, McDaniels. he's right if he means to win the game. They did need multiple possessions. <laughs> it's worse than what the Packers did a couple years ago, two to three years ago in the NFC Championship game, at least from my vantage point. Not that I wouldn't have gotten a bit lucky if the Raiders had come back and gotten the touchdown in the two-point conversion and won maybe in the final seconds or into overtime against Pittsburgh, but... I mean, the yards per play were about even on both sides. Garoppolo got into a rhythm in the fourth quarter. I thought the Raiders, I mean, I know Kenny Pickett looked good in the first half, kind of went back into a shell into those last, what, two or three final possessions for Pittsburgh. I thought the Raiders could have conceivably won that game if Garoppolo had more of a better mindset himself along with McDaniel's decision-making in that second to last or that last Raiders possession. But Mo, what do you make of McDaniel's comments post-game and also tripling down on what he had to say on Monday even? I mean, I thought it was embarrassing, obviously, but uh, overall, I thought the game went pretty similarly to how I kind of expected it to go. Um, I was a little bit surprised the Raiders were able to get as much pressure on Kenny Pickett as they did defensively. I would say I would be a little bit concerned for the Steelers' offense, to be honest, at this point. Um, I know they really struggled the first few weeks. I thought they would maybe have a better bounce back here against the Raiders, considering how strong the opposition was. They had an incredibly difficult first two weeks uh, in terms of just who they played defensively. But just not being able to find much breathing room against a Raiders a defense that I think is pretty bad. I'm pretty concerned about that, to be honest with you. The one thing I will note, and this always doesn't carry over week to week in terms of missed turnover opportunities or turnover luck, positive turnover luck in this sense for the Steelers, but Marcus Peters dropping that interception that could have easily gone for a pick six. There was a couple on the outside that I thought were pretty poor by Pickett. Yeah, and that, he he played better than I expected, even against, like you said, that bad of a Raiders defense, with the exception of maybe Mason Crosby up front, who to your point... Mason Crosby, that would be Max. Max Crosby. Going. I'm thinking of the former Packers kicker. I'm thinking of Green Bay. I had Green Bay in my head because of that fourth down conversion or the fourth down play that should have been comparing it to the NFC Championship game. My apologies, Mo. I didn't know I wasn't allowed to make a mistake as I am I'm under the weather. just letting you know. <laughs> I appreciate the call out when needed. So I'm glad I got that rant out there towards Josh McDaniels, not to be confused with Mike McDaniel, who 
exceed the expectations and then some for the Miami Dolphins offense. Did not take the foot off the gas pedal, maybe with the exception of trying to go for the scoring record in the final couple possessions for the Dolphins. But we have four games to hit on in terms of significant or key line movement around the key number. Starting off with Lions-Packers, then we'll touch back with the Dolphins against the Bills, a huge AFC East matchup. Patriots and Cowboys and Chiefs and Jets, like I mentioned. Patrick Mahomes likely playing in week four. I wouldn't expect otherwise, but that ankle injury, definitely something to note as we'll touch on in the final game here on Beat the Closing Number. But Mo kicking it off with Lions at Packers. Green Bay was a point, point and a half. They were favored by just that on the look-ahead line, looking back at last week. Now Detroit is favored by one and a half, two points, as pretty much across the board, consensus favorite to say the least against Green Bay here in a big NFC North matchup with both teams sitting with a two and one outright record. I know this line is right around a dead number. So you might say, well, even though this line is flip-flopped, what does the line movement necessarily mean and how much significance does it hold? But you have to look back at the Packers last game. The Saints were a two-point road dog before the line flipped or maybe got closer to a pick as the game got closer to kickoff on Sunday, early Sunday afternoon. And that number, if you got the Saints earlier in the week, which I know our boss, Brad Colson Digg, paid big-time dividends as the Saints lost by a point. So just because the line is around a dead number doesn't mean that it doesn't hold any sort of significance. Detroit outgained the Falcons in week three, 5.8 to 2.6 yards per play. Jared Goff, 7.4 yards per pass attempt. Desmond Ritter with just (laughs) 3.1 yards per attempt, which is not anything new if you've watched the Falcons offense over the first three weeks of the season. And outside of Matt Nelson for the Lions on their offensive line, Detroit has an elite run blocking Grade on each of their run blockers up front over the first three weeks and the Packers run defense. Uh, Kenny Clark and Devontae Wyatt have, while they are great in terms of getting after the pass rusher, they are they do not grade well in terms of stopping the run. So just something to keep in mind there. And Detroit has performed above average in the run game over the first three weeks in terms of, or below average, I should say, in terms of EPA per carry and success rate on the ground, but a potential get-right spot here against a Joe Barry-run defense that has traditionally struggled against the run, and that is no different than how they've performed over the first three weeks. So how are you evaluating Lions and Packers in week four, Mel? I definitely think there's a chance we could see Green Bay closing as short, short favorites here. Um, and I can't see the, really the line moving the other way. Like you said, uh, it's already moved that way from the look ahead number. So I would be pretty surprised if Detroit approached minus three here. Um, I I think a big part of the move against the Packers last week was just nothing positive came out on the injury report for them. So I guess we'll see what happens there. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm assuming 
dude, is there a more bizarre situation than what David Bakhtiari is doing? Like he just he just doesn't play unless he's on grass or what's going on there? I guess he's gonna play since they're going home. Uh, but yeah. yeah, this is really odd. Uh, so I guess but he's going to come back, but that's been stagnant from the last, what, at least last season, if not two seasons for, for Bakhtiari. Yeah, this is just a really bizarre situation, but he's coming back home. So I guess he's going to play Jair Alexander, a surprise miss, uh, in terms of being on the field. I don't think anybody expected that. And then obviously Aaron Jones and Christian Watson remaining out. Um, so I'm assuming they're going to get healthier. So that could maybe move the needle in favor of the Packers here. Uh, at the same time, I'm concerned about their sustainability on offense. I think a lot of people have pointed out while a lot of the grading and EPA numbers and stuff like that are a fan of what Jordan Love's been doing. Um, the success rate has been poor, like really poor. So, uh, over-reliance on big plays, something I've pointed out in the past with the Seahawks that I think ended up holding true when they had Russell Wilson, you know, um, just not something you can build an NFL offense on because you just so often need to be moving the sticks more, uh, consistently. That's kind of why you see a game like where the Packers have zero points and then they score 18 in the fourth, right? Like, that doesn't happen if you're moving the sticks on a consistent basis. So, um, yeah, I'm a little worried about that. But, man, they do have a really good matchup here against the Lions secondary that I don't think either one of us respects all that much. Um, I knew that it was a good matchup against the Falcons. That's why I bet them here. But the Packers are actually going to try to get after them through the air. And I'm worried about the Lions defense against anybody that tries to get after them through the air. And to your point about Jordan Love, if he is able to have more than just a fourth quarter of success, completion percentage over expected ranks number 33 among 34 qualified quarterbacks through three, week, three weeks. So you look at EPA plus completion percentage over expected CPOE composite, and he ranks above average among qualified quarterbacks behind Lamar Jackson even. But then you look at just CPOE, and he ranks number 33 in the league. So it's a great point to keep in mind outside of explosive plays because that kind of condenses what the quarterback does in terms of accuracy and refines it even more than just completion percentage, your generic completion percentage that you may look at from a traditional sense. One other thing to keep in mind, too, if Aaron Jones isn't good to go for Green Bay, A.J. Dillon down to... A minus 1.26 rush yards over expectation this season. And when you think about below average and then some in terms of production, just like Jordan Love, that number is only better than Cam Akers, Dalvin Cook, Rashad White, and Jamal Williams. So Packers offensive efficiency has not been good individually when you look at quarterback performance and without one of the most explosive running backs in the league in Aaron Jones. Yeah, I mean, I would never expect anything positive to happen when A.J. Dillon gets the ball, generally. So uh, having Aaron Jones in there, who's actually a difference maker, is one of the few situations where I would actually credit something positive and meaningful when, when there's a running back present.
And I know you kind of lean towards the Packers initially, but if the Lions are able to maintain that positive game script, like I mentioned with their elite offensive line, even though EPA per carry and rushing success rate might not truly showcase just how good they are up front on paper through the first three weeks, I do think they could have their way with this Packers defensive front. But not even a lean for me initially, especially with this spread being at a dead number and probably not going up towards Detroit minus three, like you mentioned, and especially all the way towards Packers at a a field goal or even near that as the week moves along, even if they get more of a positive injury report over the next couple of days. Another huge game when it comes to divisional matchups, Mo, Miami at Buffalo, and this was sitting at Bills minus three and a half on the look ahead, and it has dipped Below the key number of three, albeit a juiced Bills minus two and a half. And you may be able to find a a flat Bills minus three, depending on when you're watching or listening to this edition of Beat the Closing Number. As we mentioned with that Dolphins offense, or at least teased it from the get-go, Miami put up the most single game points in an NFL game since 1966 with a 70-burger against that... (laughs) disgusting Broncos defense and I didn't downgrade Denver's secondary enough Patrick Sertain where were you on the field yesterday although you could also correlate that to Vance Joseph having no idea what he was doing with Sertain especially on that first Tyree kill touchdown I don't know what the hell was going on in that Broncos secondary on that possession but I digress Miami with a 61.1 percent offensive success rate Uh, in week number three, which is unheard of. Tyree Kill, A-Chan, I think is how he wants to have his last name pronounced moving forward, and Moster combining for 532 total (laughs) yards of offense between those three skill position players. Just absurd. The Bills defense leading Buffalo to that blowout victory in D.C. yesterday. Looking on the flip side of this Bills-Dolphins matchup, Sam Howell with just... 3.3 yards per attempt. And looking at that Bills defense zoning in on what they were able to do against Howell up front, 27 of 39 dropbacks Sam Howell was pressured on. So 69.2% of Howell's dropbacks, he felt pressure. And that was the second highest pressure rate in a game in the next-gen stats era. Seven different Bills defenders generating four-plus pressures Ed Oliver with seven of them. And the Bills defense is actually ahead of the Cleveland Browns defense in terms of EPA per play allowed. The Browns are ahead of Buffalo when it comes to opponent success rate, but that should stand out. I'd say so since they're pretty much off the charts there. (laughs) Right, but that should stand out in terms of what the Bills have done on defense. And maybe I upgraded Washington a bit too much, but Bills had their way on that side of the ball against a pretty successful Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy-led commander's offense over the first couple of weeks. Granted, it was against Arizona and Denver. But how are you looking at Miami and Buffalo on paper six, seven days ahead of that matchup, Mal? Well, unfortunately, how I'm looking at it is I'm kicking myself for not betting the Dolphins when I wrote the Look Ahead article. I thought the plus three and a half opener was pretty bad. Um, I thought it was too high by quite a bit and at least a half, but it's obviously the biggest half point there is like, 
I'm really annoyed that I didn't fire on Dolphins, but I let myself imagine that, well, what if Denver uh, does make this a game like all the sharp people think, and then I might get um, a better number on, no, not getting a better number, um, unfortunately. <laughs> are so. you calling me sharp? I'll, I'll take that I as mean, a compliment. All the, all the people that are the I influencers, know. whatever you want to call it, I they, all, they all believed in the the Broncos I didn't and uh I should have just uh should have just trusted myself there that 3.5 was going to be the best number I was going to see I'm obviously very excited for this game genuinely curious which way this goes I could see um a Bills minus one being in play I could see Bills going back to minus three here honestly Uh, even it would not surprise me either way even after yeah I would lean more towards the latter and not that there aren't head fakes in terms of line movement on a week-to-week basis early on when you look at the market. But the fact that there's already juice when there wasn't last night, and again, that very well could be a head fake, but I think this gets closer to three. I may end up betting the Bills here. You don't typically see this, and, and this goes to just how bad that Broncos defense is, and you can't even say with Justin Simmons in there, that it would have been any different. Although neither of those safeties had a ton of experience in the Broncos secondary, but Vance Joseph is weighing over his head. Watching that game, man, especially as a Broncos better, I'm sitting there and thinking the success rate, at least looking at it when I was on RBDSM or whatever the website is called specifically, The efficiency has to stop, right? You can't be this efficient on an every down basis and an every possession basis. And granted, the Broncos got that fourth down stop when they were down by, I think, 21-10, I want to say. And then they didn't get any points out of that possession in plus territory. That was probably their one shot of making that a game where with four minutes or so, Left in the in the first half, I was thinking, okay, Broncos get on the board with a touchdown a year. You're down by four points. And not to say that possession would have flipped the game because as we saw in the second half, there's there was no saving that Broncos defense, especially with how quickly Tua was getting the ball out of his hands. And that also kind of plays towards the week four matchup. As good as the Bills have, and as dominant as their pressure was against Sam Howell, how effective will their pressure be in week four when you're talking about a quarterback that gets the ball out of his hand at a much faster rate? So it's going to be very interesting to handicap as the week moves along, but I wouldn't put it out of my realm to back the Bills under a field goal here, and maybe even at Maybe a flat minus three. We'll see. But are you pretty much saying you're going to stay away from this matchup? I I would think so. Um, I I have some matchup leans that would tell me that I think I should like the Bills a little bit here. Um, I like that they have a pair of elite safeties. I think that might be pretty big trying to limit um, some Just big plays. Just a little. Just a little. Yeah, just even like even if you're getting beat deep a little bit or even if like you're getting beat down the field, maybe it's limited to a 20-yard play instead of a 50-yard play. Right. You know? Maybe like, you can actually tackle Tyree Kill instead yeah. of leaving him with 10 to 15 yards of space. Yeah, like even yeah. if he catches the ball, right. at least at least tackle him and and make the Dolphins keep executing. Um <laughs> I also like the Bills wide receivers a lot in this spot man 
Eli Apple and Xavier Howard, I mean, that I just don't think they are going to have too much success, honestly, covering the Bills' wide receivers. I think they're going to need to win up front probably. Um, and, you know, I, I think the Bills could win up front on the other end too, to be honest. Uh, their their pass rush has been very good so far. Uh, they're, I think, in the middle of the pack coming into last week in in pressure rate and they're just not blitzing at all they were literally bottom of the table in blitz rate so um, maybe just keep stuff in front of them here and get in to his face a little bit the the dolphins only scored 24 points against the only legitimate defense they faced now you know I, i know that maybe the stats say they should have scored a bit more than that but i still have questions about this offensive line versus a real pass rush so i'm excited to see how that goes um i kind of think we should love the under here to be honest both of these teams have had some success uh slowing each other down uh at times in some of these recent meetings so i I don't know the number is massive man i think it was 54 and a half when i looked at it this morning yeah looking at the totals here especially when it comes to caesar sportsbook 54 at caesar's 53 and a half, pretty much everywhere else. So if you want to get the best of the number and grab that 54 over at Caesar Sportsbook, as long as you're 21 years older, of course, older in a state where it's legal and you have Caesar Sportsbook, you could sign up with Caesar's online sportsbook and bet and use the bonus code, the lines 1000 while creating your first account, of course, and you'll get up to $1,000 back as a bonus bet. If your first bet loses terms and conditions, as always, apply more details over at thelines.com. And kind of backing up your point about that Dolphin secondary, which will once again be without Jalen Ramsey, and also backing up both of our points to how good that Bills pass rush was that doesn't blitz a lot, which you definitely hit on. No Von Miller yet. I mean, this is a really underrated defensive front especially when it comes to production and maybe that also, you know, we don't want to just as much as we don't want to say this Miami Dolphins offense is going to be putting up 70 points every week. The bills aren't going to be generating the kind of pressure rate they did 69.2%. So Miami's not going to be putting up absurd numbers. The bills aren't going to be generating that kind of a pass rush every single week, but the Dolphins secondary still Going to be without Jalen Ramsey, and they rank through three weeks number 25 in dropback success rate. Broncos offense, mind you, had at least one significant turnover when the game was still kind of in reach, down 18 points, or at least in terms of the point spread. Cortland Sutton with that fumble late in the first half. So Broncos were still able to move the ball efficiently when the game was still, or at least when the point spread was still not (laughs) defined. And I know I'm still coming at that as maybe an optimistic Broncos point spread backer in the first half. But listen, that's how you have to take things into context. You see, if you didn't watch the game, you see 70 points. You see a 61.1% offensive success rate. And you say, how can this offense be slowed down? Well, if they face an above average pass rush and a pretty good secondary, at least when it comes to the safeties, which you highlighted. So... I like your underlook. I also think I may be on the Bills, but on to the third game that we're going to discuss, Mo. Patriots at Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys were seven and a half point favorites on the look ahead line. Now it's seven pretty much across the board with a juiced plus seven in New England's direction. 
And that has, of course, a lot to do with Dallas losing outright at Arizona. 13-point favorites they closed at pretty much at every sports book. The Cardinals were plus 500 on the money line. So congratulations to those of you who had the kahunas to bet on the Arizona Cardinals with arguably the biggest upset of the NFL season thus far. Arizona outgaining Dallas 7.5 to 5.5 in terms of yards per play. And New England, on the flip side of things, just barely took care of business on the scoreboard at the Jets. 15 to 10, Zach Wilson having a couple chances to come back in that game. But they did outgain the Jets when it came to yards per play pretty comfortably, 5.2 to 2.8. And when you look at the total in that game, also something to keep in mind when it comes to this game in week number four, the lowest total on the board was Jets and Pats at 35 and a half. And they still went comfortably under the total by a full 10 points combining for 25. So is this one of those games, Mo, that you maybe look at the Cowboys and not throw it under the table and say, well, Cowboys lost Trevon Diggs midway through the week in preparation. And maybe that went into their mindset and just negatively affected them going into the week three matchup against the Cardinals? Or do you have a lot of concerns with Dallas ahead of this week four home matchup against New England? Uh, I think both, to be honest. I definitely saw that uh, Cardinals game as like a super flat spot just because, you know, 2-0 and facing the bottom consensus bottom team in the league uh, on the road and you just had a key player tear ACL. Uh, I figured maybe they would come out a little bit flat in that spot. Definitely never, ever imagined they would lose or even come close to losing, to be honest. Um, but I'm still like, I'm pretty baffled by this line. I got to admit. Uh, so like you said, we're looking at a seven and a half opener. And then Cowboys, that's like pre-torn ACL for a top 10 corner or whatever you want to call Trevon Diggs. Obviously, he's a good player. Uh, so seven and a half before that and before they completely um, no-show basically against the Cardinals and the line reopens at seven. I thought that's really weird, especially when the Patriots did what they did, which like you said, the scoreboard doesn't really tell the whole tale, to be honest. Uh, they dominated the Jets more than the stats would tell you. Uh, plus... 2.4 yards per play like you mentioned and plus 180 total yards they simply just kept driving to the 40 or the 35 and fizzling out in long field goal range um, missed at least one kick i believe uh, and then made a couple more uh, the patriots i know they're off to a rough start on the ground so far but they faced good defenses um, especially up front for sure like, even if I have some questions about the Eagles secondary, they're obviously very strong up front. Same thing for the Jets. Uh, and I, I know, like, EPA and stuff is looking ugly for them on the ground, but I think they should be able to run the ball here. I mean, Arizona trucked Dallas on the ground. I was stunned by this. 220 yards on 30 attempts. I know some of it was uh, uh, Josh Dobbs, a couple long scrambles, but, dude, they were still getting plenty of yards on really normal lineup and run the ball forward plays. So uh, Dallas obviously also has played two horrible offenses and then whatever you want to call Arizona, maybe they're halfway decent. 
I don't know. They're playing halfway decent, certainly. But, yeah, I mean, look at the schedule they've played, man. The Patriots are not a horrible offense, not with Bill O'Brien. They've been okay, I think, so far, and and I just don't think this line should be seven, and uh, I am going to be very irritated if this gets down to six and a half before I am able to pounce on what I think is just a bad number here for for the Patriots. I don't I don't think they should be getting a touchdown here. A couple counters and not that I'm betting or looking to bet Dallas, but one for five in the red zone against Arizona, which not to say that may not translate on a week to week basis, but isn't necessarily indicative of future results for sure, especially when you think about how successful and how efficient the Cowboys were on the ground yesterday. Tony Pollard was the example of that, obviously putting up over 120 yards on the ground and also over 100 yards in penalties. So not that I want to chalk this up to the Cowboys maybe underlooking the Cardinals and just having one of those weeks where especially when you suffer a significant injury like that, how it affects you moving forward. But I do kind of want to throw that result under the rug and maybe just watch what happens in this Patriots-Cowboys game. So I'm not saying you're in the wrong by looking to bet New England, especially if the Patriots are able to have success on the ground and if those concerns do carry over for the Cowboys defense. Also to keep in mind for Dallas in the secondary, I think safety play has been a bit concerning because Deron Bland is a pretty solid fill-in for what it's worth with Trevon Diggs out for the rest of the season. But J-Ron Curse has underperformed at least what he did last year. I'm pretty sure he was a Pro Bowl safety last year, if not one of the better safeties across the NFL. So his production at that spot is a little bit concerning for me. But I think the week four matchup between New England and Dallas is maybe just a wait and see and just watch what happens kind of game for me rather than trying to take a position on it like you are, Mo. But on to the fourth and final game, your Kansas City Chiefs at the New York Jets. The Chiefs have gone from seven-point road favorites, and they were actually as low as minus six on the lookout line, out to nine and a half. So... Favor just below the key number of 10, if you want to call it that. And should I go as far as saying your favorite pop artist, Taylor Swift? I'm not sure if I have a favorite pop artist or least favorite pop artist. But it is Travis Kelsey's girlfriend, so. Yeah, she's good in my book for now then. (laughs) So, Mo, how are you gauging Chiefs and Jets? Um, well, this one is obviously disappointing that we're once again not getting to see Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers for the fourth time or something, whatever it is. Um, I I tried telling people before the season, watch out for this Chiefs defense. Fifth in EPA per play so far and just completely embarrassed the Bears. Uh, I think we just saw what a horrible offense looks like against this Chiefs defense. The Jets have a horrible offense, so I'm very concerned if I'm looking at it from a Jets perspective, what they can do against what I think is a very much legit KC defense. Um, A bad quarterback and a negative script versus these guys. I mean, unlike Justin Fields, at least he's at home, but man, is home even good in this spot? Like, 
home could be mean the boo birds are coming out after the first couple three and outs in this one uh zach wilson's mental state is already a serious question for me the way he plays the game right now uh so i don't know man this feels like it should be a very workmanlike 27 to 10 chiefs w uh but on the other hand we saw what happened in that bears game if the chiefs get out to a big lead if a bad quarterback is in a negative script we could see some turnovers we could see some short fields we could see some easy kansas city scores so uh yeah i kind of think the chiefs should win this by double digits but you know they still have the jets still have a very good defense at home so um i, I would lean to the chiefs in this spot um just because of the fact that this could be a compounding situation when we see Zach Wilson. I mean, dude, he can barely get a first down against these solid defenses he's playing. Like, I know that he had some success last year and was able to, you know, win a couple games and move the ball, but that was not against defenses like Chiefs, Dallas, uh, these teams that, that the Jets have been playing. It's been a rough schedule early on for them, obviously. And looking back at Kansas City, and that Bears game yesterday, holding the Bears and, like you said, just a, I, I mean, that situation in Chicago, if the Broncos is bad, then the Bears organization is completely inept. But 6.1 to 4.0 in terms of yards per play, Justin Fields' decision-making continues to be a concern. But my biggest takeaway, like you said, just about Kansas City's defense moving forward And I wrote this up in our newsletter last week, which you can subscribe to by entering one of our contests over at play.thelines.com, pretty much giving a Amazon gift card away on a daily basis. But Kansas City's defense, if not top 10, or if not top five, then for sure in the top 10, Trent McDuffie in particular, the number one graded cornerback per PFF, which is something that you may not be able to or may not want to take away as the Bible when it comes to individual player grades, but it translates to what Kansas City is doing overall when you look at EPA per play allowed through the air and success rate. And he has definitely taken that jump into the upper echelon cornerbacks on a week-to-week basis. And Also, just what Kansas City has done overall in that secondary. You called it from pretty much the get-go that Kansas City is the upside of a top-five defense. So, Zach Wilson going up against Kansas City's defense is certainly a concern. We'll see how Patrick Holmes and that ankle injury fares over the course of the week. Andy Reid downplayed it on Monday. So, you wouldn't expect much of a negative notion when it comes to his injury status when it comes to him actually playing in this game. But we'll see when you look at his mobility against a very good Jens Frut 7 and Quinnen Williams and how he was able to get a ton of pressure against Mac Jones. Does it necessarily bode well for the Jets up front against an actual explosive passing offense in comparison to what New England brings to the table? But... New England's offense against the Bears defense and what they were able to do and just move down the field at will isn't necessarily and won't necessarily translate to this Sunday night football game, especially if that ankle hinders Mahomes' efficiency at all. It didn't in the AFC or the Super Bowl, I should say, when he was dealing with that ankle injury. We'll see if it 
does on Sunday night football. But any closing thoughts for you, Mo, outside of the total for me in this game, it was 45 on the look ahead. Now it's down to 43, 42 and a half. So we've seen a bit of an adjustment, but just because of how inefficient Zach Wilson has been, maybe that plays towards an under on top of Mahomes injury. Any sort of lean for you in the total betting market? I guess uh, a little bit too alive over if the Chiefs get a lead early on as kind of how I would look for this one. Um, Not too much in the pregame, but yeah, I would support any notion that Trent McDuffie is going to be a great cornerback. I loved him from the minute I saw him basically in red. So I completely buy into, I thought he was an above average player last year. So as a rookie cornerback at a position where they're usually getting their butts kicked, uh, I would expect great things from him. I said all last year, I thought he was going to be a future star, maybe a future superstar if a cornerback can be such a thing. So yeah, very, very excited for his career. Um, and George Karloftis looking, looking a bit better this year as well, I think. So just an overall strong Kansas city defense. And man, I just, I, as bad as Justin Fields is, at least he's scrambling and and taking some shots downfield. It is really ugly what Zach Wilson is putting out there. I mean, that fourth, fourth and 10, he threw to a covered check down for one yard. I mean, like Kirk Cousins would be uh, blushing at that one. So yeah, it's it's really bad for the Jets' offense right now. As bad as it gets, to <laughs> I be like honest. The comparison there. Also, look at a Kansas City secondary for one more note nugget. Legerious Sneed, I wanted to bring this up on last week's podcast, but we didn't have time, or maybe it didn't slot in well. He held Calvin Ridley to just two catches for 32 yards, and they pretty much pulled McDuffie off. If McDuffie wasn't on or, or was on Ridley for just a few snaps, if anything, last week, then Sneed was pretty much on him for the entire game. And to have those two as your one and two, or number one and number two cornerback is pretty incredible and speaks to how good this Kansas City defense has been so far as it relates to the Jags' offensive production, although Jacksonville looked pretty putrid (laughs) against Houston, but Ridley is certainly an upper echelon number two receiver in this league, if not a bona fide number one. So what they were able to do against him in week two and the fact that McDuffie rates so highly across a bunch of different metrics if you don't want to consider PFF to be one of them bodes well for Kansas City's defense, to say the least moving forward. But that's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by thelines.com. You can follow Monoara on Twitter at Monoara with two W's. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Thanks as always to our producer, Rich Ryan, for helping us out, especially with my foggy, sick brain and how I've operated today. So thank you as always to Rich and thanks to Mo for putting up with me here on this Monday And thank you for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody.